inspired by the Canadian Federation of the Blind. Outlook, a show about accessibility, advocacy, and equality. I'm Brian. And I'm Carrie. Outlook. Radio Western. Good morning, Radio Western. No theme for Outlook this week, but we're live nonetheless. Yes, we are live. First episode of December. And uh, due to some technical difficulties, and we're just starting up with these Zoom interviews the last uh, few weeks here. So we had to, it's always good to have a backup plan. And I think today's plan will work because I have my iPhone and I was able to connect it to Zoom. Um, so we should be good to go, I believe. With our, we have another guest on the show today. Yes. Um, so thanks everybody for tuning in to Outlook on this Monday yeah. morning. <laughs> As we said, no theme. So no maybe theme. we should just quickly mention that our show is about accessibility, advocacy, and equality, with a focus on blindness. Though we like to talk about all disabilities. Yeah. Well, especially today, we're really going to sort of explore that a bit more. Um, but, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So no, no theme, but it's uh, Brian and I. We're siblings here, and uh, just bringing some some awareness to some issues here. And uh, I'll incorporate the theme. I'll put it back in with the, on the podcast version. And you can always find us on all podcast services. Outlook on Radio Western. Just search us up, or you can always send us an email. Outlook on Radio Western at gmail dot com with any questions, comments, just any feedback, anything you wanna you wanna say. Always yeah. reach out there. And it's funny. Last week, when I was when we were here live uh, with our guest Peter Field, also from BC, uh, I, I once I got home and the next day I was feeling ill, and so that was my first cold since the pandemic, and I wasn't sure how that was going to hit me, but I got over it a lot uh, quicker than I usually actually normally get over my colds. So, so, but I can't believe that was just a week ago, uh, and I did get a COVID test, my first one, the thing up the nose. It's Lots of fun. And uh, so, yeah, that was fun. Also, I did want to quickly mention that uh, it was our father's birthday on the final day of November, which November is part of the theme for our show, even though we're into December now. Um, But, yeah, so happy birthday to our father, turned 66, I believe, on the 30th. Yeah, so we're going to start, actually, today's show before we introduce our guest with a uh, land acknowledgement I just wanted to to, to read this out um, for our listeners. So we here at Outlook and at uh, Western University acknowledge that Western University is located on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabek, Haudenosaunee, Lanapewak, and Chunungtung nations on lands connected with the London Township and Sombra Treaties of 1796 and the Dish with One Spoon Covenant, Wampum. With this, we respect the long-standing relationships that Indigenous nations have to this land as they are the original caretakers. We acknowledge historical and ongoing injustices that Indigenous peoples endure in Canada, and we accept responsibility as a public institution to contribute toward revealing and correcting miseducation as well as renewing respectful relationships with indigenous communities through our teaching, research, and community service. And I'll just read one more thing before we introduce our guest. 
Um, so over 1 billion people, or approximately 15% of the world's population, have disabilities. While no global data exists regarding Indigenous persons with disabilities, available statistics show that Indigenous peoples are disproportionately li- likely to experience disability in comparison to the general population. Indigenous persons with disabilities often experience multiple discrimination, face barriers to the full enjoyment of their rights based on their Indigenous status and also on the disability. So, our guest today is Neil Belanger, and he is CEO of BCANDS, which is British Columbia Aboriginal Network on Disability Society. So thank you, Neil, for being on Outlook today. Thank you, uh, Carrie and Brian. I'm, I'm very happy to be here. Great. And uh, where are you calling in from today? Right, yeah, before I start, yeah, I'd just like to acknowledge the traditional territories of the Esquimalt and Songhees peoples, whose territories I'm calling in today. Our office is based in Victoria, British Columbia. Oh, Victoria, okay. Yes, I was researching a, bu- a bunch uh, the last few days here, and uh, yeah, as Carrie mentioned, we've had quite a few guests the last uh, last uh, few weeks here. We had uh, two guests from from BC, and this is our third here. So, really great to uh, even though we're out of Ontario to cover anything across the entire country of Canada here. So, so that's great. Yes, and uh, as we were saying um, recently, November was uh, Indigenous Disability Awareness Month. And we'll talk to Neil about that. Uh, he's got a connection there. Um, also, since our last show, Friday, the December 3rd, uh, was the International United Nations International Day for pers- uh, of Persons with Disabilities. So, you know, we can talk about Canadian stuff sort of here, or we can talk about uh, the broader world, but we'll get to all of that, hopefully. So, Neil, uh, why don't you, you know, tell us a bit about... Um, I guess about yourself, if you want to let us, our listeners know anything before we get into um, what your role is and what the role is of um, your organization. Sure. So, um, so as you said, Carrie, I'm the uh, chief executive officer of, of BCANS and also Indigenous Disability Canada. It's a new entity that we created uh, this year, actually, to be more reflective and representative of the work that we do uh, across Canada in relation to Indigenous disability. I've been uh, the CEO here for about 10 years uh, and prior to that I worked um, as an Indigenous uh, consultant uh, working with uh, community health plans, evaluations, that type of thing. I worked as the executive for Indigenous Health, First Nations Health and uh, I've spent the last 30 years working basically in disability and health services uh, in Canada. Hmm. So do you, do you yourself um, have any disabilities or are you just um, helping others? I, who do I, don't, I don't have a disability. I should also mention as well, I'm a member of the Laxale clan in the House of Nicodane of the, of the Good Sound First Station. Okay. Yeah, good to know. We always like to so just sort of ask, you know, if so, if anyone has, if the person has a disability in, in these organizations. And obviously, I I read through the uh, the board of directors, and there are a lot of uh, people in as a part of the organization, the society there that that do have disabilities. So that's great to to have both because we talk about allies and having people without disabilities involved in in these efforts, as well as people who live with disabilities. So I just think that's all. All of our board of directors are individuals who live with disabilities, as well as numerous uh, of our team members. So, I mean, in any case, 
many positions that we have here. We we actively open them up to persons with disabilities and uh, and, and, and try to make sure that we're inclusive and representative um, of the work that we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great because we're always we're always talking here about it and inclusivity and having more and more people with with disabilities in in any uh, roles. So especially when it's an organization that focuses on disabilities and in this case specific to Indigenous peoples, it's great to have uh, people obviously volunteering or working for those uh, those groups that um, that also live with those uh, in those situations. Yeah, and like we say, this is a show, uh, Brian and I are both blind, uh, so we most we often talk about that, but it's about the wider um, discussion around disability, and so we don't talk enough about it, uh, and we keep meaning to talk about it more, because um, I live with both uh, visible disability and uh, invisible um, disabilities, Brian, so I have chronic pain, Brian and I both have kidney disease, uh, we've had transplants, so we're good at the moment there, but that's always going to be a condition we live with so that's that's chronic illness disease and so it all goes into the same thing mental mental illness um you know autism and all those things so learning disabilities and all types mobility disabilities so um yeah like i was saying when i was looking up information and you know there's just not a there's not enough uh so i guess Neil, tell us a bit a bit about um, BCA NDS because um, I don't know if people have heard of it. I I was going to say I recently started hearing a bit a bit more about it. I think at our last Canadian Federation of the Blind Convention, um, we had a speaker talking about RDSPs. Yeah, I was seeing there was definitely some some uh, crossovers some crossovers on your website to the Plan Institute, who we've we've featured on this show before and had actually speak at our recent. Canadian Federation of the Blind Convention. So it is really great just to see all of the different resources and everything that's available through your website, which people can find at bcands.bc.ca. And uh, yeah, so Neil, if you could if you could just tell us a little bit more about the British Columbia Aboriginal Network on Disability Society and and sort of everything that that this organ this uh, organization does and what you stand for and just just a big uh, summary of of all of that. Well, here, so I. Um, uh, for us at BCAS here, actually this year is our 30th year. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's great. Yeah, so it's our 30th anniversary. Uh, and, and as you noted, uh, November was uh, the seventh anniversary of Indigenous Disability Awareness Month. And maybe uh, I'll jump back to something that Terry said about, you know, you know, haven't really heard about BCANs, haven't really, you know, uh, seen too much about it until recently, this type of thing. And that's one of the reasons that we created um, Indigenous Disability Awareness Month is because... Um, Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been doing this work and, and we realized uh, that Indigenous disability uh, was not a real priority within Canada, across Canada, provincial, territorially, uh, nationally, um, and even within the disability community itself. So our organization is one of the few organizations, um, and I believe the only standalone organization, that provides disability services uh, available to Indigenous peoples. Um, so. In 2015, we decided to change that narrative and we created Indigenous Disability Awareness Month. And the premise of the month is to celebrate the overwhelming contributions of Indigenous peoples living with disabilities and what they bring to all of our communities, but also raise awareness of it and raise better awareness of uh, the barriers that uh, that they face, um, uh, you know, 
both in the built environment, systemic poverty, uh, anti-Indigenous racism, all that kind of stuff, and really try to move forward in creating new collaborations and new partnerships uh, to see a better day, to see a better resource. And, and, and we understand why this happened, why it is often not a priority. It's because there's so many other priorities within the Indigenous communities. Mm -hmm. uh, like I said, whether it's, you know, the effects of residential school, you know, dealing with Jordan's principal, you know, housing issues, you know, we get into pipelines and all those things where communities are, are barrarded with a, with a whole bunch of priorities. Disability, unfortunately, sometimes isn't high up on the list. So we wanted to do something to raise that. And so, so that's part of what we do. And, and, and uh, in 2017, the United Nations actually recommended to Canada that they observe Indigenous Disability Awareness Month nationally each year, and we're working on that. So, so this year uh, we saw the province of Manitoba uh, officially recognize and proclaim the month. Uh, they joined British Columbia and they joined Saskatchewan. Uh, we also saw six capital cities uh, around uh, the country uh, officially recognize the month, and those were uh, Victoria. Regina, Halifax, Fredericton, St. John's, and Ottawa. Uh, so, so they've really uh, helped raise awareness in the in the uh, in the the, um, the portfolio of uh, Indigenous disability in Canada. And this year as well, we also had um, had a uh, Maori. Uh, uh, organization, disability organization, Indigenous Maori Disability Organization, the oldest, the oldest Maori disability organization in New Zealand, who serves the blind community, okay. actually declared declare the month as well. So Idem's now oh, wow. gone truly nationally, and we've had interest from Australia as well, a couple of cities there. So our our intent was first with Canada to get it recognized nationally to raise awareness, and then, as I said, get those partnerships and some resources where to, to start addressing some of the barriers. But now we see, uh, and we've known this, that Indigenous disability across the world is really an underprioritized area. So we've shifted our focus as well. We're going to look at getting it recognized internationally and eventually by the UN. So uh, we've got work ahead of us. Uh, sometimes it's slow. Sometimes it goes really good. This year was extremely, uh, extremely uh, productive year with uh, all those different entities proclaiming the month in addition to uh you know dozens of, of uh different organizations as well we also had uh Kwantlen uh, university the first university in canada recognize it this year as well so we're hoping for other universities across canada to, to follow suit and uh, we continue to go forward and we we had many uh people of note declaring it uh, we had buffy st marie talking yes. about it uh, Saw the that. Prime Minister of Canada did a video on it. We had Graham Greene from the Green Mile and Dance Wolves on it. So, uh, you know, senators, uh, you know, really uh, a lot of people, a lot of uh, CEOs of organizations, a lot of people from the community, you know, going online and declaring it. So it's raising that awareness and moving forward so we can see a better day. And so we do that, uh, but also to to address some of the some of the uh, uh, the needs of the people that we serve in the communities. We provide a, a variety of different programs here in BC and across Canada. Do you want me to talk a little bit about those? Well, let's first go back and like you said, thirty anniversary you're having now. So, how did it start then? Well, so actually, this this organization started because. It, a group of, of uh, community-minded individuals knew that Indigenous disability wasn't a priority anywhere and that the, the employment rate of Indigenous persons living with a disability was, was way too low and there wasn't really a lot of resources out there to to help uh, Indigenous peoples living with disabilities get employment and maintain that. So the premise of this was actually started to be an employment agency. So uh, back in the day, 30 years ago, um, 
Ian, who was one of the community members who uh, who, uh, who started this, uh, put a proposal to the government of Canada to, to have a facility constructed within the Esquimalt Nation to support Indigenous people looking for work. Um, and at that time, Health Canada was called, um, um, I can't even remember what it was called, but it was the First Nations Inuit Health Brand, Branch. And that was back in the 90s where the internet wasn't that, that uh, prominent as it is today. So one of the first contracts that they, they received with the government of Canada here in BC was to distribute printed information to all the First Nations here in British Columbia. And we have about 203 First Nations here with the premise that we would hire persons living with disabilities to prepare it, to ship it out, teach them some basic uh, you know, employment skills, you know, how to do resume, this type of thing, and, and then help them transition into employment. And I don't think it ever came before my time, but when I look back, when I started here looking at some of the historical documents, I don't think that vision ever really came to uh, fruition the way that they wanted it to. Uh, so uh, they did get a contract to send out the information, which they did for years. Um, and then from that, picked up additional contracts, sort of kind of like the case management contracts that we have today, uh, not so uh, intense uh, that it was more of a referral system and a few other piecemeal contracts as well, a little bit of uh, research, this type of thing. So we, since that time till now, we've really switched the focus of, of what we do to be more responsive to the individual needs of our uh, of our clients and their families and our communities and, and go into really direct one-to-one services in, in most of the programs. Mm. And as we talk about, like, back when, so when this would have started, this was in the early 90s, like, residential schools were still open, right? So this is how far we've come and how we're still, um, you know, looking at these things um, and trying to shed more light on them. And not everybody knows a lot about it, but hopefully by now you can't uh, quite turn away anymore from it. Um, But yeah, these things change over time. And we still do. We still still deal every day with the effects of residential yeah. school. I think a lot. Right. In Saskatchewan in 1996, we're, we're still dealing with uh, you know, uh, compensation for survivors and their families and the intergenerational uh, effects that we see every day mm-hmm. and, and how that impacts on a person's lives and their willingness to, to access services. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's really quite a distressing situation and we try to move forward, but you know, Unfortunately, in Canada, we deal with a lot of anti-Indigenous uh, racism, and uh, and here in BC, I'm, I'm not sure if you're aware, but last year I believe they they put out a report called In Plain Sight, which really looked at the the anti-Indigenous racism um, experienced by Indigenous people when they're accessing health services. Um, and of course, we know about Joy Sichuan and and the young girl that was hit by a trailer hitch, um, you know, and, and and died subsequently. And uh, so it's a, a I'd like to think we're moving forward, but often I look and think that we're not. It's a, it's, yeah. it's like so many things where it's such a slow process and everything happens so gradually that it's sometimes hard to. But to these think are that people's lives, and and like we've said before, like it's, they always say, progress happens slow, whatever. But people need things now, like the services that you offer. People, you know, can't wait, and um, we talk a lot about inter generational trauma in all kinds of areas and for sure that's something that's still um being being dealt with so yeah when you say move move forward it's you know it sounds all well and good but uh you have to deal with things before you can really move forward 
And it just really exemplifies how we we talk a lot here on this show about intersectionalities and and disability and, and on its own and and indi- being indigenous um, without a disability is there's already so much like you commented earlier there's so many things to focus on that it often gets overlooked and that happens in 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 uh, in all in, in society as a whole but especially in an indigenous society where there's already a lot of, of uh, difficulty and inequality and stuff going on it just is it's even uh, ex- exemplified in, in that community even more. More so, so I think it's really important that we we talk more about this, and uh, that's why it's so great to have you on the on the show here today, Neil, because it's it's just very important stuff. Well, that's so true. You know, like I said, I worked I worked in disability and, and health for years, and I can remember the conversations we're having today. We had you know twenty years ago, mm-hmm. same conversation. Right. You know, I've seen I've seen reports where said by you know, by twenty twenty, all persons living with a disability in British Columbia will be employed. So we, we, we create these lofty dreams often uh, governments and you know and, and sometimes partnership with communities, but uh, then they never go anywhere. You know, and then we have to go back to the same table and say, well, what do we do? Here's you know, you know, here's systemic poverty here, or, you know, high unemployment, you know, little access to technology and, and ability to go to uh, you know school and this type of thing. You know, the same problems that are always there that at some point we have to start thinking what are we doing wrong? We probably shouldn't keep going back to the same path. We have to start doing something different because if I'm having the same conversations I had 20 years ago, there's something wrong. Yeah. Yeah, that's just it. I mean, there's always, it seems like there's gradual changes and sometimes it's like, oh, things are improving, but the fact that you're still having these same conversations mean they definitely aren't improving enough. So this is just something that we have to I mean, keep. Uh, there have been improvements. I mean, just not at the level that I, I, I would have expected that as a country provinces we've gotten to, we would have gotten to, uh, you know, at this time, years later. Well, yeah, it's, I mean, it's like when you hear that Ontario hasn't adopted, like you were saying there, certain provinces have, what's... Yeah, the Indigenous Disability Awareness Month that, you mentioned Ottawa, which is, which is great, and of course, the, uh, Justin Trudeau mentioning, talking about... I'm losing you a bit here. Oh, sorry, sorry about that, hopefully. Oh, we can still hear you. We can still hear you. Yeah, so uh, so every year we actually reach out to the provinces and territories to, to see if they will declare the month. Uh, and, you know, every year we get nice correspondence back. Uh, you know, uh, we've had some interest, more interest now from uh, uh, Alberta as well. But you're right. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, it should be a, a nothing thing for a province to step up and say, this is a good cause to raise awareness. Let's do this kind of stuff. We have to start working that way to, to do this type of thing. And, and we'll get there. It'll take some time, you know, but it will get there. But like I'm wondering what kind of things they at Ontario will will say in these lovely responses you get back that I'm sure are very cordial. But like, do they, is there any reason they're giving that they could possibly justify why why they don't just do this? I don't know. When we first when we first started, um, uh, you know, back in 2015, you know, Ontario was actually very keen and interested on it, and, and so I had conversations with several uh, assistant deputy this type of thing and moving forward I think the reluctance is, is I think that sometimes government think that uh, there has to be funding attached to it and, and you know eventually that would be our goal is to increase programs so I think there's some hesitance there but they're, they're always very respectful and they, they note that they they have a, a disability plan in place for the government or, or, or they're working with indigenous communities and that they recognize December 3rd and other months that have been designated as well and, the, and that's sort of the, the, the general response I get from any province and territories when they write back and they say oh, we're doing these things, this kind of thing. You know, uh, they say, well, we have an accessibility plan or whatever the case may be. But, you know, we'll, we'll keep pushing. And, I, and, you know, we've got Manitoba on this year. Um, we'll keep moving and we'll get another province on. If it takes one or two years, we'll just keep going. And eventually, you know, we're working with uh, people in the Senate and 
MPs to say, look, do a private member's bill, get this stuff put in place, and let's get going on this, you know, just to raise that awareness. That's another initiative as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, I'm not, I'm not in government. I, I don't really, I'm like what Brian and I talk about all the time that we're just getting into advocacy in our 30s. And so um, now that we have this platform here at Radio Western, we wanted to use it to not just talk about our own situations um, because, you know, we know a lot about our own situations and we can, we talk about that a lot, but we wanted to open it up to a broader um, thing because the more places you're hearing this, the better. Um, but I guess, um, I guess, I mean, you think, you, I'm sure you have a positive um, thought, perspective on it then, but what do you say to people who think like, well, what does a month do? What does it re- really a month do? Like, you know, there are a lot of days and months now and some, sometimes some people sort of brush it off. Oh, for sure. And, and I'd say a lot of people do. You know, it's, uh, you know, within the disability community, there's one lesson that we, we always learn that, you know, or always, you know, talk about or hear anyways, is that, you know, when we, when we talk about disability, we talk about Indigenous disability, we're always typically meeting with allies, right? So, you know, somebody who works with the disability community or the Indigenous community, whatever the case may be, we surround ourselves by allies to, to, to promote the work that we do. And, and here at BCAT, we're, we're starting more to step away from that. We'll always surround themselves by allies, but also reach out to those areas that typically aren't associated with the Indigenous community or the disability community to say, look, you have a part in this too, you know, disability affects us all, whether it's Indigenous or non-Indigenous. And even looking at uh, some of the stuff on social media after we went out there, I mean, many people were saying, I've never heard about this before. When did this start? This type of thing. So, so we keep moving forward and we have to be positive. If we, if we weren't positive, then, you know, it would, it would stop all the work that we do here because we have to work for that better day for all people living with a disability. We have to do initiatives like it to raise awareness and, and, and through that awareness, you know, people will see that maybe they'll have a stake in this game. I mean, uh, you know, from what uh, research has shown is that 80% of us will, will live with a disability at some point in our life. So we are all connected to this and we all have a stake in this. And if we don't bring in the outside communities, outside the disability community, outside the Indigenous community, uh, we're not going to be able to move forward very fast because everybody has a, has a stake in this and everybody has a role to play. I think that's so important that you bring that up because that's what we were talking about before is that the allyship is really the important thing. I mean, obviously it's all important to anyone involved, but really having the people that don't live this, uh, live these situations every day, getting more involved. It's, it just, it really does. I think often, especially in our society here, we look, we're very individualistic where we look at our own needs and we often, you know, overlook what other groups are going through. And also the fact, like you point out that a large percentage of, of people will at some point have to face a disability. So by not dealing with this stuff and like you mentioned all these things, like I wasn't, you know, familiar with these, you know, five years ago or the first few years where, uh, where this awareness month was, was a thing, the indigenous, um, awareness month here in, no- in, in November. So it's just, like you say, I think sometimes it is easy to say, oh, these days, it's just a day, but the more, the, the, the fact that it's getting mentioned every year and you continue to reach out to provinces, I just think that over time it will grow and, and the fact that it's that it's been seven years now and it's, it's getting better and better, I just think it's, uh, it's, it's good to stay positive because it's hard oh, sometimes, but with advocacy, it's one of those things, right? It's, it's hard to be positive, no. but you're never gonna you're never gonna get anywhere if you if you're always negative too. So it is a balance for sure. Yeah, and change never comes fast enough, as we said, you know. But no, we have to be positive. And and like I said, you know, if if we have now here in BC and, and then Canada have opportunity to make change around the world, now that we have organizations in New Zealand and Australia looking, you know, 
we'll just keep moving forward because that's the priority. And and it comes back to that interconnectivity, right? And and something that Carrie had said as well. You know, there are there are indigenous disabilities. There are people who do not portray uh, as being indigenous who are full status, and people don't know that. So, um, you know, they'll, they'll be in employment or other options, other places. You know, and they'll talk. You know, they may talk about disability or they may talk about indigenous people, not realizing they're standing beside somebody who lives with a disability or who's indigenous or both, right? So they have to realize, people have to realize that, you know, you have co-workers, you have, you have family members, you have people you're associated with, you know, that live with disabilities and that we are all connected and we all have a stake in this and move forward and, 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 and not think it's, you know, this is somebody else's area and I don't have anything to do with it, you know, and I, I don't live with a disability and I'm not going to get one, so I, I shouldn't have to worry about this. Somebody else will take care of it. It's, it's not the right attitude. And these awareness days and these awareness months, you know, bring some some sort of uh, priority. And, and again, if it, if three people a year now knows about it, and they talk about it, tell two other people, and they tell the people, you know, it's moving forward. Mm-hmm. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's the thing. Uh, so there are certain marginalized groups that you that you will you probably that you will never be a part of, and there are other ones like disability that you very well could or most likely will. Uh, so for everybody who just, I mean, if you don't have to think about it in this moment, that's maybe convenient for you in the moment. But really, um, you know, if it's scary, scary, a lot of a lot of times disability issues they scare people, right? They don't want to end up. Um, sort of what but it's often what they see in the media and what they see so um it's great like we know that other places around the world as you said are are, are sort of having to confront now uh people who weren't affected before um the colonialism and all these things like you say in australia and new zealand and here in canada for sure um oh absolutely and and, and the unfortunate part is when it comes to disability is that you know, as a society and probably as a world, we're we're reactive, not proactive. It's when all exactly. of a sudden you, you you acquire a disability or a loved one uh, has a disability, suddenly you see the injustices of the world that were you know you were unaware of before. You know, even the you know going through the various systems and and, and the income support that's available, the services kind of stuff. Only then do you realize the you know uh, the disparity um, within our sector. And then it's it's too late, you know. And that's why we're saying, you know, we need people on board. We need people who are who are not directly associated with uh, with the disability community to to be allies and advocate and push for that change because we need them to help push for that change and make it a, a national priority. For anyone who has just tuned in, you're listening to Outlook here today on Radio Western. We're speaking with Neil Belanger, Chief Executive Officer of the British Columbia Aboriginal Network on Disability Society which is an award-winning Indigenous not-for-profit charitable society serving the unique and diverse disability and health resource support service need needs of Indigenous peoples across Canada. We're going to take a quick break now on Outlook, and we'll be right back with more discussion with Neil here today on Radio Western. And welcome back. Yes, you are listening to Outlook here today on Radio Western. I'm here with my sister Carrie. My name's Brian. We are two blind siblings, host this show every week, and we have no music today because we have Zoom connected through my iPhone. It's always good to have a backup plan, right? It's uh, mm-hmm. when you have guests on and using Zoom and all this technology. So I'm glad everything seems to be working so far today. This is great. Yes. So before the break, we were speaking and we're having a great conversation here with Neil, uh, the CEO of B Cans, I guess is the short form for it. 
It is. <laughs> and some of these places, some of these organizations with the acronyms, they they can be kind of long. So, um, but it's fun to sort of say. To, I, I kept think I kept seeing the word bands in there, even though there's a C in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I always have to say these 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 uh, names slowly because if I don't, I always find I. Uh, I mess them up because these they're like we say with all these different organizations there's so many acronyms but uh anyhow mm-hmm. so we were talking well, we get a lot of changes we get a lot of different uh, uh pronunciations of our organization <laughs> and that's why under indigenous disability canada we will eventually be fully under that uh but the british columbia aboriginal network on disability society if this falls off your tongue it's quite short <laughs> yeah and i'm sure you've said it enough you've said um, it quite a few times i imagine <laughs> at this point so <laughs> But yeah, we were talking with you about sort of the history of it all. Um, so now let's maybe get into some of what you guys do um, offer as, as far as services and supports. Sure. So we do a variety of programs here in British Columbia and across Canada. Uh, so so one of the programs that we, we touched on briefly is our Indigenous Disability Case Management Program. So we have uh, disability case managers that work with individuals and families to help them access their necessary disability health-related services that they may require, um, and, and really looking at all aspects of their lives. So we do a fairly comprehensive intake formula. We get to know the individual. We, we, we take the time to learn about them and let them tell their story, uh, what their needs are, what they identify, and then we'll help them. That could be anywhere from, from poverty issues to housing to transportation to assisting with applications to adaptive technologies, uh, the whole gamut. Uh, we consider everybody's need a priority and, and they're quite diverse and we'll work with the individual to, to access resources, act as the lead, uh, and if resources aren't available, we'll try to create them. And, and we work with uh, provincial and federal governments, health authorities, you know, community-based organizations, employers, you know, um, the, uh, everybody, anybody that try to make, uh, make sure that their needs are met. Uh, and the time that we spend with the individuals you know, could be from a week to two years. It all depends. We work with people who are in provincial and federal corrections as well. Um, so, yes, yeah, it's, it's a, basically uh, for that program, if you're an Indigenous person living with a disability in British Columbia uh, and you have a need, uh, come see us. And we make no restriction on age, location, uh, or disability or disability-related need. So, it's, it's, as you can imagine, it's a very, a very busy uh, program. Um, Another program that we run that you touched on as well is we run this in partnership with two other organizations. One is the the Plan Institute, and the other one is the Disability Alliance BC. We uh, we run the, our component is the uh, Indigenous Registered Disability Savings Plan program. So that program uh, we work with individuals. Uh, age zero to 49 uh, who are wanting to open up the registered disability savings plan which which is a, a savings plan created by the government in 2008 so we'll work with them through, uh, the whole uh, criteria uh, aspect of it we'll work with them to get their disability tax credit which is a requirement to open up our dsp and that comes from working with them to fill out the form to find a doctor uh, we work on appeals and that we work with the CRA to do taxes as well uh, to make sure they're up to date uh, acquire SIN numbers uh, the whole, the whole uh, gamut uh, and then from that intake process it will also refer them to other organizations or internally here if we see there's a benefit to them in accessing some of our other programs so we do that as well. We also work on behalf of Indigenous Services Canada here in British Columbia, and we adjudicate uh, persons with disabilities applications for the majority of the 203 First Nations here in BC. The exception are some that are 
treaty. So we are the provincial government's counterpart here in BC for the federal jurisdiction of those 203 First Nations. So we work with communities and um, we'll send an application to a community for one of their members who is interested in applying for disability benefits. Uh, that member will then get it filled out by the medical practitioner and the assessor and, and return it to us. That And then we will uh, adjudicate that application uh, based upon established criteria, which mirrors the province, and uh, either approve or deny benefits. And through that program, we work with, uh, of course, the nations and we work with the individual. We work with doctors and, and uh, social workers and nurses, anybody who's involved in the application to make sure that we have enough information in, uh, to, to approve. Uh, one of the things is we don't want anybody who's eligible not to get that benefit. Uh, and we have a, a sharing agreement with the province here. So if we approve somebody within the First Nation community and they move into provincial jurisdiction, they will then uh, accept our approval and vice versa. If we have a member who is moving back to their own community, back to their home First Nation or another First Nation, and it's been approved by the province of BC, we will accept that approval. Uh, here within the federal side. So, and those, all the, all of our programs interact with each other. So our RDSP program, we, we work with our, our, our disability benefit adjudication program to identify those persons who have been approved uh, that are under 49. And we, we, we uh, inform our RDSP program that this person might be then eligible for uh, DTC and a disability tax credit. We also have our uh, Jordan's principal uh, program as well. So we have a coordinator here that works with uh, individuals and families, children and families across British Columbia to help them as well navigate through uh, the various systems to get the services they need for the child, including uh, the final stage if we've exhausted all areas without any uh, success uh, applying for principal funding. We run a national support for Indigenous student learning programs. We started this last year uh, where we gave out almost a million dollars worth of uh, brand new laptops to Indigenous students, including Indigenous students living with disabilities across Canada. And we target Indigenous students that have limited financial needs and those students living with disability. Uh, so this year, uh, we actually just finalized our contract and we've been running it for the remainder of this year and next year. We'll probably be giving away uh, probably about two and a half million dollars worth of computers and, uh, and technology to help Indigenous students be successful in whichever uh, you know type of education uh, uh, institution they're enrolled with. That could be university, could be uh, you know the K to twelve school. Uh, all depends. Uh, so we have an application process that will be going up online pretty quickly. Uh, students will apply teachers can help them, parents can apply for their kids who are in school, and then we, we take a look at those applications, prioritize them by need, and they'll they'll receive computers or or other other technology that might help them with their studies. Um, That's such a great a great program because like we talked about a lot and, and with especially with COVID now and but just in general technology is such a such a big thing these days and everything being virtual and a lot of a lot of people um, in particular indigenous people are could be in in uh, rural communities and remote areas and not have access to to a lot of these things and and uh, all of this equipment is quite expensive so just providing something like these laptops I think is such a great uh, a great program and it's interesting too how you know this is a BC based organization currently and and uh, hopefully like we say it will be nationalized uh, eventually here but it's um, it's good to see that some of the because I, I, I believe most of your services are, are primarily available to, to residents of Br British Columbia 
Um, and maybe you can you can elaborate on that a bit more. Though, of course, obviously, this one you said was was Canada wide. And I know, for example, the RDSPs um, are something that across Canada, any you know, if you have this disability tax credit and you do have a disability, you can you can get an RDSP. And a lot of people might not be aware of it. So it is great that you're bringing awareness to that. And obviously, in Ontario, we might you know be able to get get an RDSP set up through through someone else. But at least you know that that you that that is being covered by your by your organization out there as well. And so yeah, maybe just a little bit about that and and how to how to compare the any services that are na- nationwide compared to the to the BC uh, centric ones. Yeah, so we have, like I said, we have a number of direct services here in BC, but we're actually working with the federal government now right. uh, to expand right. our services to the federal or to the western provinces of, um, you know, Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba, and it's looking good. So, um, so we've met with them a couple of times because there's a huge need for the direct services that we do. So, uh, so we're working on that with the government now. We're working that with the province to to get uh, you know direct one-to-one services available to uh, to uh, Indigenous peoples living with disabilities in those three other provinces. And then from there we'll continue to go forward because there's a huge need um like you've both noted um and yeah so um so we moved that we have a, a resolution of support from the assembly of first nations to move nationally we have overwhelming support from you know our, our communities and, and organizations within the government so so we keep moving forward uh on that as well so it's good mm. and it's good to hear what the that there's no like you know line you draw for just because these, you know, often people with disabilities, depending on what they are, will be like, well, I'm not disabled enough to access things. Or, you know, some people don't kind of admit that they have the disability. Or So there's there's often barriers, as we say, but it's good that you um, are open to that much. Um, maybe, oh, sure. We look at everything. Yeah, yeah that's that's good. Because um, as you said, you can't be one size fits all for anything, any of this. Right. And the, and the invisible disabilities are a really big one, I, I think. And on this show, we've been talking a lot about mental health and all of these types of things that, you know, it's not just being blind, but it's there's other disabilities that people don't see the second they meet you and and oftentimes, you know, still aren't talked about enough or people. And, and another thing that th- that ties into is, is is this term ableism, where we even see that in the in the disability community and, and people that live with disabilities or that are indigenous still have this these, you know, prejudice and, and stereotypes that have just been so ingrained in society and it's something we we want to talk more about and, and start to to uh try to you know get get rid of ableism and and all be inclusive for, for everyone absolutely and, and a lot of work, that work that we do now is really address that we do a lot of work in accessibility uh of course the accessible canada act came out to 2019, I think, and we've been working with First Nations um, across Canada, uh, you know, informing them about the potential development of this uh, legislation, and now working with them to see how the legislation can be changed to take more of a First Nations disability lens uh, than it has in it right now, which is, you know, not a lot. Um, and right now, of course, with the ACA, First Nations have been exempted uh, from it for the next probably four years. Um, uh, well, the government deals with this because, you know, when you look about accessibility issues within our communities across Canada they are quite high. And that's just with the built environment. Um, so it'll take a significant amount of resources to, to address this. And, and, and I think the government is often um, stymied about the best way to move forward on this. 
Uh, so we're working on that. We're also working with Accessible Standards Canada in two areas now, looking at the built environment within First Nations communities across Canada uh, and, and the policies and procedures that affect uh, their members living with a disability. And, and, and you're right, Brian, when we talk about ableism, this type of thing, um, you know, and even during COVID, where we saw, you know, significant amount of money going into, uh, into you know, communities across Canada, different sectors, this type of thing. The disability sector was largely overlooked. Um, but uh, we saw governments, uh, you know, do things that they thought were good, uh, that they thought were, were really good things, uh, positive things like buying hotels, taking uh, uh, street and trench people, putting them in the hotels. And, and, you know, on the surface, that looks like a positive thing. But what they didn't realize is that, you know, uh, taking people away from their support systems, the people that they knew, you know, uh, limited access and the connectivity to these these free Wi-Fi plans. It increased isolation and, and actually amplified in many cases their disability and their mental health, uh, you know, uh, status and this type of thing. So if you're going to put things forward without, you know, talking to people beforehand who live with a disability for services that you think are going to benefit them, uh, you know, it's a huge mistake that we often see. Mm-hmm. And that happens, I think, in a lot of situations where, like, we discuss that a lot with blindness, where there's a lot of decisions being made by people that don't quite know actually what benefits us, and then those decisions are made, and then it's like, well, that wasn't really in our best interest, but, you know, people think they're doing sometimes the right thing, but they, they maybe don't consult enough people, or they don't quite know kind of what they're what they're doing or what's right, because like you say, one size doesn't fit all, and, and that's why things can be complex and take long to, to develop, but at the same point, we have to really start focusing on that more and not just have sort of an absolute way for one way for things to be so absolutely and for me i mean i'm always amazed at how much i don't know and i can remember talking to colleagues who use wheelchairs and you know just a general conversation talking about life and and, and, and you know a friend of mine telling me that you know they're really tired because they had to you know use their wheelchair uh in an airport that was carpeted um you know and and how difficult it is to use a wheelchair you know when you get older particularly on carpeted floors and, and you know and i never really knew that and, and so they, so i learned this type of thing you know from from people with the lived experience and what they tell me we learn a lot through the through the things that we do here as well you know trying to navigate through the systems ourselves as a service provider but most of the information and stuff that we learn uh comes from the people that we serve you know many of the situations they 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 deal with are very unique to them or their community um and it's a it's a quite eye-opening so mm-hmm. Wow, this hour is flying by, which is great. Have a great discussion here with Neil from Beacans. Um, and uh, I did want to quickly touch on this because you've mentioned it a few times and it's on your website and everything, but people, I don't think people have heard of it. Um, uh, so Jordan's Principle, I mean, I've only recently heard of it. Um, I've heard some uh, some from a woman named Cindy, Cindy Blackstock, I believe her name is, uh, an activist, and she's talked a lot about it on here in Ontario. We have a our TV channel, TV Ontario, um, covers a lot of that sort of stuff, but I don't think people have heard of it. So what, if you could sort of shed a little bit of light, what is it or, and how does it relate to what you guys do? Yeah. So George's principle was put in place to help support indigenous uh, children who were in care and indigenous children with families who have support needs. So, uh, the federal government has, um, underfunded uh, indigenous child services for years and, and you know having kids in care as well so jordan's principle was designed to help children get the health and disability services that they require to be successful in their lives and so right now cindy blackstock blackstock has advocated successfully for years to have the 
government of Canada uh, step up and pay the proper amount so that the, the supports available for Indigenous children are on par with non-Indigenous children, which has never been there, and reduce the amount of children in care, give the resources back to the child and the community to make sure that they're successful where they should be. Um, and recently, uh, the government now is, is working again. There was a ruling that came out from the Human Rights Tribunal stating, I, I believe, that uh, that uh, the government of Canada needs to pay these families and these children, you know, I, I believe it was $60,000 or 40000 I can't remember, uh, in compensation for the lack of services and support that's been provided. The government of Canada now is, is, is challenging that um, in an indirect way, saying that they're going to work with Cindy um, and the Caring for First Nations uh, Children's Society to find some resolution. But we keep getting uh, hampered. So this program was put in place and developed uh, uh, to assist families uh, to, in, in children to make sure that they have the supports necessary, that they can get through the various systems to get the, the necessary disability, medical, housing, uh, educational support that they need. So any of the support that they to give them a better opportunity to be uh, successful in their lives. Mm-hmm. Yes, <clears throat> and as people may know, if you've been paying attention to the news, the government has been um, in court with First Nation, and it's all, it's all terribly um, awful because, yeah, you, like you said, a lot of these children with complex needs, uh, and then you add Indigenous on top of that, uh, there are barriers and their families need the help, and we need, uh, obviously, it's great to have activists uh, who are so vocal like uh, she has been, and so I really enjoy listening to her um, talk about things. Yeah, and it all it, it, and, and Jordan's principle stems from uh, Jordan's River Anderson, I believe his name was, was was a indigenous uh, child who was in the hospital uh, and, and stayed there, never got back home. While the provincial and federal governments fought about jurisdictions and who should cover the his medical bills and this type of thing. So, and that stuff still happens. I mean, we still deal with uh, massive jurisdictional uh, issues here in Canada. You know, the federal provincial systems. You know, who should pay for what? What? How do you access it? What's this and that? So, I mean. Again, you know, we, we, we move for, forward, but never at a, a, a pace that we you know, reasonably think is uh, acceptable. Well, that's just it. It always comes down to, often comes down to all of these jurisdictions and all of these, these things that, you know, I think I was, I was reading that, that the indigenous, you know, for, for health related stuff, it's a, it's not a provincial um, coverage. It's, it's, um, it's federal, I believe. Well, so we're here, so across Canada, the, with the exception of British Columbia, here in British Columbia, we have something called the First Nations Health Authority, and that came into effect in 2013. They took over control from uh, Health Canada, First Nations Indian Health Branch, branch to administrate the health programs and services for First Nations here in BC. Okay. So they basically okay. are Health Canada here in BC. Uh, the rest of the country uh, is under Indigenous uh, this, uh, Indigenous Services Canada. Um, health Canada sort of folded into that. For health Canada, First Nations Indian Health Branch sort of fell under now Indigenous Services Canada. Um, so the rest of Canada deals with the federal government in relation to health services and, and uh, housing and all the stuff within First Nations here. And that housing and stuff, social development, still we still deal with Indigenous Services Canada here in BC. Um, but the health component is all taken over by the First Nations Health Authority. And they have different programs and services and, and um, you know, in programs and services within First Nations communities across uh, Canada are not all the same and they're not all delivered the same. So if there's a, a number of nuances here. Uh, when you're looking at health dis- disability services within the communities um, and what is provided and what isn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, quite the tangle of things, yeah. 
So uh, you mentioned again a few things about COVID. How has COVID sort of changed um, what you guys do out there and, and how, how you guys offer services? So, of course, we're, we're enforcing all the public health restrictions that are put in place. We're still uh, encouraging uh, people not to come to the office unless, unless they have to. So, like, we have to get papers signed or we need to see them here. We mm-hmm. do a lot of stuff uh, through Zoom like this and, and virtually as well. But we saw that during the height of COVID, um, which, you know, is still at the height of COVID as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. A, lot of, a lot of communities... Uh, a lot of indigenous communities to protect their members, their elders, their members uh, with compromised immune systems. They they closed up their their communities, shut their doors. So, uh, which is which was a, an appropriate response uh, to make sure that their members were safe. Uh, but it also means that there's less access to disability services and other services as well for their members living with disability. So we saw a, a, a decrease in the amount of people applying for uh, persons with disabilities benefits, um, you know, during the during the height when everything was really locked down. It's coming back now, uh, back to uh, levels that we would expect it to be. But for a long time, people weren't accessing that service. Uh, we had an increase in our disability case management, of course, because with COVID came a lot of other problems with isolation, you know, cost of food, getting out, restrictions put in place. So we dealt a lot with that. So uh, we're, we're trying to get more normalized here, but we're still seeing the effects uh, of COVID with people as well. And now with every variation of, of the virus that comes out, you know, fear comes up, you know, uh, you know, we have concerns from members about the vaccination, you know, yeah. all these different things that we see in the broader population as well. So. Yeah. Yes, because as you say, it's it's not only areas socially and in accessibility that you need and housing and all these sort of um, basic things, but also healthcare and um, it can be really complicated and multi-layered um, and COVID is making that more difficult uh, as we've seen, um, yeah, where people um, are, le- are more hesitant to reach out for help. And so when you're already struggling to get people to see that you're there and willing to offer it, then something like COVID can really sort of screw with that. So I was just curious how, how you guys... Yeah, we, and we, yeah, and we also saw, you know, an increase with... Uh, with uh, anti-indigenous racism too, um, you know, yeah. we saw a lot of bad stuff online, you know, directed towards communities, that type of thing. Yeah. So, I mean, it's uh, a lot of the same, this amplified, uh, yeah, but again, we move forward. But I mean, and I know we only have a few minutes left here, but you know, there are, I just want to throw another, uh, a few other things, just in relation to Beacant out, there's never sure. other programs that other programs we do, but one of the programs that we, we do is that uh, we're, we're the lead organization in partnership with about 29 organizations, national disability groups, in monitoring the uh, Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities in Canada. Uh, so Canada's second review of the of the CRPD, the convention, um, is passed. It's up now. Uh, and uh, we were in Geneva in right before COVID really hit in 2019 and presented to the International Committee um, our recommendations, which we gathered from these various groups, um, uh, which they provided to put into a, a brief report. And now we've, we've started working on the shadow report. Um, the problem is Canada has not responded to the list of issues prior to reporting um, from the United Nations, where they give them questions they want answered. So Canada is still working on that. So let's delay the whole second review of the convention here. Um, so we're waiting for that. To, but it's, uh, I just wanted to bring that up because it's, it's certainly a, a great initiative to see how 
working at the international level can can change and influence domestic policy, which is what the the ACA, the Accessible Canada Act, came from, and and uh, various uh, employment initiatives and this type of thing. So we're working on that as well. Uh, and I also want to say that right now in Canada, uh, you know, particularly it'll be of interest within the disability community, and, and, and I'd say a lot of people are aware of this, is the Disability Inclusion Action Plan announced by Minister Paltrow um, before uh, before uh, Parliament broke or before the election, um, which promises to look at a new federal income supplement, uh, changing the employment uh, uh, taking an employment focus and and changing uh, access and, uh, and the bureaucracy on, on accessing federal benefits. So, so that that didn't get reintroduced yet, and it wasn't noted in the throne speech, the recent throne speech, which was you know distressing. Yeah. Uh, but but now it's been mentioned by the prime minister on December third, uh, so we know it's still going to happen. We just don't know when. Uh, they they said they're going to commission a three year study, which is too long, yeah. and uh, and we don't know how it's going to unfold. And, and as an organization. We've taken the position that that the supplement has to be a minimum of seventeen hundred dollars. That's a supplement onto existing federal, provincial, and territorial benefits. So if you're on persons with disabilities income assistance here in BC, that seventeen hundred dollars would be added to it. Uh, and, and we pick seventeen hundred, and that would make the the minimum that anyone living with a disability uh, who's in receipt of uh, uh, provincial, territorial, federal income assistance for disability would be at a, a rate of 2400 That would be using New Brunswick where their assistance rate is $750. We're saying you have to put you know, $1,700 on that to make it 24 With no clawbacks, no changes in provincial uh, benefit rates or health supplements, and at, also adding in there a very generous uh, employment exemption. So for people that can work, that they're not going to be penalized for that work, and really do something progressive to help bring uh, persons living with a disability out of poverty in Canada. And that's where this this collaboration and this this work that we need with those people and organizations that don't necessarily necessarily see their link to the disability community comes in place because their voice will be instrumental. We need to tell Canada, we need to tell the governments that this has to be, this is what we need, and there can be no clawbacks, and that's across Canada. So. I think that's so great that you bring up the, the federal disability benefit because it's something that we talk about a lot on this show too is the is the the cost of living and, and people on disabilities that we are you, here in Ontario we're on we get ODSP as a provincial um, payment but um, like you say it's it needs to be a, a nationwide thing and it needs to be it needs to be this set amount that we can actually live off of because what what a lot of people are given now and even you know for me talking here I'm I'm not indigenous and I you know have more you know, have some privilege, unfortunately, because of the way society is and a lot of Indigenous people don't have that. So it's just, it's so important for anyone, but, you know, I have some support from my parents that, that sort of helped me get by. But if I didn't have that, it would be be a lot more difficult. So I just think all of these initiatives that uh, that you're working on there through the British Columbia Aboriginal Network on Disability Society is so they're, they're all so important, and uh, and as we've seen with I, the pandemic, right? Like they can, they've made a lot of think a lot of adaptations for society that, that before that they would have said, oh, for certain communities who asked for it, oh, we can't do that. And of course, you know, we got to you know, there's budgets and things to consider, but there are ways of making it work, and it would just it would it would highlight human rights in Canada in in more of a um, comprehensive way that we really need. 
Well, exactly. And, you know, 22% of the population live with a disability. That's, you know, that's almost a quarter of the population and, yeah. and higher rates within the Indigenous sector. And like you said, Carrie, we've seen this at a stroke of a pen. We've seen $2,000 going out to people, uh, you know, uh, with no problem. And, and within the disability community, it was $600 if you had your disability tax credit, a one-time payment of $600 if you had your disability tax credit. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it really, um, unfortunately, illustrates the lack of priority that we spoke about earlier and and when you're you know like you said brian when you're living in ontario or here in british columbia or wherever and your rent uh, for an apartment is you know seventeen hundred dollars and and the the income you're getting is thirteen hundred it kind of makes it hard to uh to meet ends meet uh, you know to be an active member of your community to to enjoy anything socially economically or otherwise and and if you're a family and you're wondering how you're going to feed your kids or yourself you know when you live with a discipline these are all burdens that that we have to take a stance and say you know what now we're gonna we're gonna put in supports necessary to ensure that all persons living with a disability have the ability to thrive surviving shouldn't be the benchmark that we're looking for in canada survival should not be enough we want people to be able to thrive and that goes in all aspects of their life you know and they want them to be part of the political process we want them to be leaders in organizations and in governments all those things that we're lacking now in many aspects we need to really work on and i think the disability um, action plan and that supplement is one of the better first steps that can happen so we need to see that go through and again that's where people across canada do have a role whether you think you have uh, any affiliation with the disability community or not you do have a role mm-hmm. well we're going to continue to talk about all of this and see um how things go and uh um, thank you so much, Neil, for coming on today and speaking with us. For our listeners who may be locally in London, again, this may not involve you directly right now, but I, I hope you um, were able to, to listen to what we've been talking about this hour and um, for more um, a broad audience. And uh, so it's been great getting to know um, your organization a bit better through your um, own words, Neil. So thank you. We were speaking today with Neil Belanger. Thank you. Yes, and Neil's from the British Columbia Aboriginal Network on Disability Society, also known as BCANDS, B-C-A-N-D-S, and you can find more at bcands.bc.ca. Is there anything else you'd like to finish off with there, uh, Neil, before we uh, sign off today? Really appreciate it. I, no, I appreciate being on, uh, and I just wanted to thank both you, uh, Carrie and Brian, for the opportunity, and to wish your dad a belated happy birthday. Oh, oh, very nice. Thank thanks. you. Thanks so much. This is such a great discussion, and uh, we'd love to check in with you again sometime in the future and have you back on eventually for another update on how things are if you'd be interested. And, uh, yeah, it's just such a great discussion this morning, and uh, thanks so much. Anytime. You guys take care. Yeah, you be well. You too. And uh, you've been listening to Outlook here today on Radio Western. You can find us online. No theme again to, no to theme. wrap up. But. No theme to take us out. Um, although I guess I probably could... Uh, could say bye to Neil here, and we could we could queue up the theme to to sign off if you want, Care. But um, uh, it's been a been a great discussion today, and uh, I like, so we, I say we go themeless. This all right, this we'll time. go themeless. We will put it back in on the podcast if you're if you're catching this <laughs> later on all podcast services. Outlook on Radio Western, and uh, yeah, you can always send us an email. Outlook on Radio Western at gmail and I think we'll be back next week, but not live. Yes, we have a, a special pre-record planned for next week. So 
stay tuned for that. As we wrap up 2021. Yeah, coming down here. Just a couple more live or a couple more uh, new episodes, and then we have a, a special plan for the end of the month into January that we will tell you more about on uh, next week's show. So, uh, yeah, we'll have a good week, everyone. Have a good week, and we'll we'll see you next Monday at eleven. Send us an email. Outlook on Radio Western at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at Outlook CFB. And on Facebook, facebook.com slash Outlook on Radio Western.